Good morning. I love our outdoor services, you know, especially when, you know, I really ordered this weather, the nice breeze, so you can thank me for that, me and the Lord. Um, so we're doing this, if you need water, there is water stations back there, and so I don't want you to get not uh, hydrated. So we're having this, the next time we have an outdoor service, we do this on the holiday weekends, the next time is, of course, 4th of July weekend, and hopefully the park will be taking shape by then, it may be... Uh, still torn up, but they're supposed to start within the next week or two, and the playground will go right over there, and and so that'll all be going on when we when we gather next. Of course, today is also Memorial Day weekend, uh, which used to be Decorations Day, I think is what they used to call it, when you would decorate the graves. It started after uh, the Civil War, when they decorated the graves of the soldiers that had been lost during the Civil War. And we, of course, at our church, Remember our own Joe Johnson, who was, was killed in action in 2010, 13 years ago. And so it, it hits close to home for, for our church folks. And then, as we've mentioned, our church, remember our own Joe Johnson, who was, was killed in action in 2010, 13 years ago. And so it, it hits close to home for, for our church folks. And then, as we've mentioned, it's Pentecost. I'm wearing my red shirt. I know it must be Pentecost because I wear this every Pentecost. And so even though we weren't inside, I thought I could wear it with shorts. And I couldn't wear gray shorts because that would be bad. And so I had to wear black shorts with it. Um, um, but it's Pentecost Sunday, which, of course, is the day. There's three big holidays in the church here. Christmas, Easter, Pentecost. Christmas, of course, there's... Uh, presents under the tree, Easter there's eggs in the basket, Pentecost gets the short end of the stick. And so I think really the way we best uh, celebrate Pentecost is this, outside, right? Uh, the disciples, they poured out into the streets and they were proclaiming the good news and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, that is, that's Pentecost and who we are on this day. And of course today is also the day we're starting our summer series, so if you haven't picked up uh, the, the journal from Exodus, uh, pick up one of those, bring it every single Sunday. We'll be, we'll be preaching out of Exodus, read ahead. Uh, this week we're, it's kind of an overview this week, but we'll be looking each week in that, and there's a place for notes, and it's good for you to be there. It's, the series is called From Captivity to Community, and I think we're going to really enjoy this time. We've done um, New Testament books, Romans, Luke, Mark. Uh, this is the first Old Testament book, and so we'll be spending all summer long in there. And if you're joining us online and you like a journal, just uh, contact the church and we can make sure that you get one, too. And today is also, I don't know if you know this, but this is uh, my first time preaching as a grandpa. And so, so I'm still working on my grandpa stuff, you know. Hey, you kids, get off the lawn. I'm working on it. I'll, I'll get it down before before too long. We're going to be going out there and seeing the new grandbaby uh, this week, later this week. Carla's itching the day up sooner, 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 and so we'll we'll be there soon enough. All right, but also we got to get to Exodus. Um, if you know anything about Exodus, you may know there's Hollywood has done the Exodus story. Um, the Prince of, of of Egypt was from DreamWorks. It's got good music. Uh, not exactly accurate always. Then, of course, the Ten Commandments, the classic, Charlton Heston. We've all seen that, right? Long beard, uh, Charlton Heston. Um, and then more recent, there's Egypt, uh, what is it, God and Kings with just Christian Bale. So if you like that, that's uh, 
Hollywood doesn't always do to Exodus accurate. Um, but Exodus, it means exit. The word exit or, or, or depart is where it is. And, and so the Exodus story, I think we're going to find this summer, is a, is, is a good place for us. And I think it's in the Bible because it shows you that there's a way out. Whatever your circumstance, there's a way out. And that God provides that, that way out. So, so that's where we'll be all summer long. Um, of course, like all good stories that are too complex for one book, really the book of Exodus begins in the first book of the Bible of Genesis with the story of Joseph. And if you know Joseph's story, you'll remember that Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. And to be fair to his brothers, Joseph was kind of a goober. And so they sold him into slavery, and eventually, along to a long-twisted story, he becomes second in charge in Egypt. He, he, through dreams that God gives him, he delivers Egypt from famine and sets them up financially. And the king, who's, who goes by the title of Pharaoh, is so excited that he, he grants Joseph and his family land, the best shepherding land in, in Egypt, Goshen. Um, and to be a shepherd, in, usually in the Bible times, was not necessarily a high position. Um, think of it like a garbage collector today. You know, somebody's got to do it, but you're glad it's not you always. And that's kind of the shepherd. And so shepherd was kind of lowly, but, but he granted this land to Joseph and his family. Fast forward 300 years. And the new Pharaoh, he either doesn't recall or doesn't want to recall and isn't happy about these shepherds living in Goshen. These people, the Israelites, who were taking God at his word to be fruitful and multiply, they had been doing that. And, and instead of viewing these Israelites as friends, the Pharaoh viewed them as enemies and began to oppress them and, and, and instructed eventually that the midwives kill all the baby boys. Um, evil always presents itself with death and the elimination of death. We see it throughout history. It was Pharaoh, it was Herod when Jesus was born. In our, you know, last hundred years, it was Hitler, it was Stalin, it was Pol Pot, it was the Rwandan genocide. Hitler, the uh, uh, death is always the um, handiwork of evil. And God has always proven himself to be pro-life. Always has, always will be. And so these two midwives refused to kill the baby boys. And one of those boys that was spared was a boy that parents put him in the water and sent him down the Nile with his sister watching closely. And Pharaoh's daughter, of all people, saw him and, and, and grabbed Moses. And Exodus is really the story of Moses as well. And Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house. Eventually, he sees uh, an Egyptian taskmaster kill or, or, or being, being harsh, and he kills the Egyptian which forces him to become a fugitive. He takes off and eventually runs into a group of people, marries the chief's daughter, and he too once again becomes a shepherd. Shepherd, that lowly position uh, that God always seems to recognize. And so he's living there on that um, wilderness area when, when he sees a burning bush and God speaks to him about the oppression that's happening to his people. And, and that's when Moses goes back, he listens, he goes back, goes to Pharaoh, says those famous words, you know, that are really God's words, but Moses is credited with them in the movies. Let my people go. It's found in Exodus 10, verse 3. And Pharaoh is hard-hearted. He, he doesn't want the cheap slave labor to, to leave. And so 
So he is not um, excited about that prospect. He is, says no. And then there's a long story, which we're going to get into over the summer, where there's prayers and talking and signs and wonders, and Moses uses a stick that turns into a snake and all sorts of things. And finally, 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 the people are able to leave, and they walk out of Egypt and across the dry uh, Red Sea uh, seabed, and the Egyptian army soon discovers that chariots don't float. They get to the other side of the, of, the, of the Red Sea and they throw a party. Yahoo! We're free! We're free! We're out of Egypt! And they build a monument and they're so excited. And then they realize, wait a minute, we're in the desert. And we don't know how to survive in the desert. We know how to make bricks. We know how to be shepherds. But we don't know how to survive in the desert. And shortly after arriving on the other side of the Red Sea, they begin to complain and grumble and wonder, isn't it better if we were back in Egypt? And it takes them 40 years to learn what it means to be God's people. And it takes them 40 years of wandering in there to recognize that they are to be free, no longer slaves. That God calls them to be free, not slaves. And that's, I guess, the recap of the whole summer right there. Eventually they, they, they figure that out and they go into the promised land. That's the captivity to community. And I think the goal for us this summer is that we would spend less time wandering and more time into discovering what Jesus meant in John chapter 10 when he said, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You don't have to be slaves. And even though we don't have Egyptian taskmasters over us, I know so many people are so enslaved today by so many different things. You know my story probably as well as I do. I've told it before. But my family, my family were... We're slaves, slaves to alcohol. My great-grandfather, uh, all the way back, my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, my great-grandfather was, was an alcoholic. He was also a thief and changed our name from Pierce to Prince. And then my grandfather, my grandpa Fred, he was an alcoholic. Did I tell you that I'm a grandfather? I am. I am. My grandpa Fred, he was an alcoholic. He fought for the British in World War I, married my grandmother, Annie. Carla, you're a grandma now. Grandma Annie was also an alcoholic. Um, she died when my dad was three years old of alcohol poisoning. And my grandfather Fred eventually did too. Died of alcohol-related stuff. That was, that was our story. My dad started drinking when he was 10, 11, 12 years old. And drank, 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 was an alcoholic until he was 32 and found himself in a little Nazarene church in the, on a Sunday night. Who knows what the preacher was preaching who knows what prayers were pray prayed. He went home that night. He didn't go to an altar or anything like that. He went home by his bed, prayed some sort of prayer. He'd never been in church before in his life. Didn't know how to pray, but he prayed something, and it worked. Because my dad was delivered that day. Delivered from the slavery of alcohol. Delivered from generations of alcoholism. And, I, and the story of Exodus, that's the story. It's a story of deliverance. It's, it's not some fairy tale. These are real people. And we're going to see as we study this that these are real people who take one step forward and two steps back. And they're complaining and grumbling and trusting and then not trusting and all sorts of things. We'll see all of that in this story. It's our story. A story of deliverance. And it doesn't begin with, you know, wahoo, split the Red Sea. And it doesn't even begin with the burning bush. It doesn't begin with even Moses' uh, uh, violence toward the, the taskmaster. It begins with two women who refuse to fall into Pharaoh's prey. Who, these two women who know something that sometimes our society today forgets, that life is important, that all life is precious, that, that all life has value. 
Life doesn't begin with, it doesn't come from storks. Uh, life doesn't begin with the, with the father's will or the mother's womb. Life is a gift, a gift from God. And these two women, when told to kill those babies, said no. The powerless spoke to the powerful and said, we are going to, to, to trust in God Almighty and not you. And so began the revolution. Revolutions always begin when people say no. It was in the 18th century at the you know, Boston Tea Party, in the 19th century when, when the North finally said no more slavery, in the 20th century when Rosa Parks said, I'm not going to sit at the back of the bus. Uh, revolutions begin with the word no. And these two women stood up and said no to the most powerful. It's interesting, right? Um, in the Bible, these two women are named, Shifra and Pua. In the Bible, names are important. You know that. You've seen that before. Names are really important in the Bible. My grandson's name is Conrad, by the way. I don't know where Conrad came from. When they told us it was Conrad, I, you know, I, um, I was a little concerned. I remember Conrad Twitty. I don't think that was, you know. Uh, then there's a few other Conrad. There was a Conrad. Don't you do this? I found out his name was Conrad. And I, I couldn't think of one Conrad that was one of our churches that was kind of a goober. And so it's like, ah, don't be like that, Conrad. And then I remembered as well in 10th grade, I was in the musical Bye Bye Birdie. And if you remember that, it was Conrad Birdie. We love you, Conrad. Oh, yes, we do. We love you, Conrad. We'll be true. You're not near us. We're blue. Oh, Conrad, we love you. That kid is going to get sick of that song. Because I'm going to sing it a lot. Names are important. They're important to the Bible. And, and Shifra and Pua are named. Pharaoh, on the other hand, the leader of the, really, of the, one of the first superpowers in the world. People thought he was a god. People bowed down to him when he went by. Pharaoh is, a, is not a name, it's a title. And it's mentioned, Pharaoh is mentioned 107 times in the book of Exodus, and we're never given his name. Because names are important. And the way that God... Um, shows his disapproval in the Bible often is by blotting out that name. In fact, in, in the book of Psalms, it says this, You have rebuked the nations, destroyed the wicked. You have, you have blotted out their name forever and ever. Pharaoh's name was blotted out forever and ever. We don't know his name, but we don't Shifra. We know Pilah. We know that God blessed them with families of their own. We don't know much else about them, but we know Shifra and Pilah. They stood up. They are, they are known, we forever speak of them, but Pharaoh, who was so big and so important, is so forgotten in history. Because these two ladies were champions for life. And the life they delivered, one of those lives, eventually Moses, who became the great man that he was. They valued life, the importance of life. And that's a theme that we're going to see over and over again as we look into this. That people have value, people are important, people... Uh, not because of, of their, their looks, not because of their, their jobs, their abilities, their, their bank accounts. No, every single person is important and valued. In the ancient world, what they would do for important people is they'd make statues, statues of Pharaoh, or you see statues uh, in the Roman Empire, statues of all the important people. And we're going to see down the road, you know, that God says you, you should bow down to no graven image, right? And why is that? Because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob said, No, I have created people in my image. 
and they're important. They have value because they're created in my image. Every single person is important. Every single person has value. That's the message that we're going to see over and over and over again in this book of Exodus, this book that's called Exit or Depart. I googled, what, what, do, what do I need? I, I googled, I need to exit from. And some of the, the, the top one responses came back. I need to exit from debt. I need to exit from this house. I need to exit from here. That was on. From a toxic relationship, job, drinking. I guess I need to ask you as we get started in this series, what do you need to exit from? Is there something that you need to depart from? We're going to learn that as you listen, and when you trust and obey in God, that God will speak, that we can trust Him, that He will lead us. My goodness, this is Pentecost Sunday. Any Sunday of the year should tell us that. It's that Pentecost Sunday as the Holy Spirit came upon those people pre-Pentecost. Remember, pre-Pentecost, we've just spent the last, what, four or five weeks on the Emmaus Road. Those disciples were with Jesus. Jesus opened scripture to him. They got to the place where the disciples were and they're saying, Hey, Jesus is alive. We saw him on the road. We met him in Emmaus. And then Jesus himself shows up and says, Peace be with you. And those disciples were still bewildered. And from that time from, from Easter to Pentecost, there was still a lot of confusion. And Jesus said, Listen, you need to go to Jerusalem and wait for, for the promised gift there. Because, and in that time frame, even though they knew the resurrection had taken place, they had seen Jesus, they had met Jesus, he shows up to the, for them a few times. The Bible doesn't record one convert from Easter to Pentecost. But then on Pentecost Sunday, they're in the upper room, right? And the Spirit comes and sweeps in among them, and they discover the power of the gospel. What they're discovering is no longer do they need to be slaves to the old way, but now there's a new way, and God, and God gave birth to the church. They poured out in the streets. 3,000 came to the Lord that one day. And the church, church took off. But the message goes back to God has a plan for us. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That He doesn't desire us to be slaves, but rather He desires us to be free, to be, to be people that are, are living in this spirit, that, that are, are convinced that God not only is God of the universe, but that God can dwell within us. In the Old Testament, how did they describe those who are trusting in God? It would always be, God is with, is with Abraham, God is with Moses, God is with Elisha, God is with David. But in the New Testament, after the Holy Spirit comes, how, is, how, is it, how are we described? God is in us, that God is filling us, that His presence can be a part of us. In Romans, it says, Paul says this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit is who lives within you. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes it this way. Don't you know that yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And maybe even better for today. But these people who were once slave and who were living to be free, Paul writes this in Galatians. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave. We can move from captivity to community. We don't need to be slaves to the things of this world. Slaves to pride, slaves to greed, slaves to some sort of habit, slaves to whatever else it could be. But rather we can be children of God. That's the good news of the gospel. 
And when we are children of God, that Spirit is evident in us. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. We did a series not too long ago on that, on love, joy, peace, patience, that wells up within us when God's Spirit is living within us. And when, when you're no longer a slave, but rather a living in the Spirit as God leads, then that should be evident to all. James wrestled with that question, and he, and he talks about it this way. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can, can a salt spring produce fresh water. What James is wrestling with, he's really saying, when the Spirit is living within you, then, then it will be evident that you're no longer a slave to these things that can so keep you in bondage. When the Spirit is living in, within you, others will recognize that and see that within you. They'll know that within you. You don't even have to beat them over the head with the Bible. They may scratch their head and say, what's going on with you? But, but, but they'll know it because the Spirit is living within you. You're no longer a slave. When the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. I've told you before about my friend who escaped Iran. He became a Christian and converted to Christianity in 2008. But it was 10 years ago this month, in 2013, that he was there, and I was with him at his immigration hearing, when he was, uh, where they were going to decide if he would get uh, in the United States based on religious persecution. So we're in this hearing, and he had become a Christian in 2008, was baptized in a bathtub in Iran, uh, was a Christian for about three or four years. In 2011, he was arrested and taken to Iranian prison, was beaten for three days. He eventually bailed out, putting his own business, which was a music academy, up as collateral. It was a big academy, 300 students, 45 teachers, I think. And, and so he escaped the United States, and, and he was here for about a year and a half before this hearing took place, and we were all there. It was a really big deal. If the judge said, said sorry... Um, then he would have been deported back to Iran or someplace else. So it was a really big deal. And uh, the government uh, lawyer got up and said, there's no proof that he was, that none of these things happened. There's no proof that he was in prison. There's no proof that he was beaten. There's no proof that he was uh, uh, persecuted for his religion. And I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of proof. He was in prison. He was this, this. But there, he, she was right. The lawyer was right. There, you know, there was no uh, record of his arrest. I don't think the Iranians share that arrest record with us. I don't think there was no scars. He didn't have scars from where he was beaten. There was no baptism certificate. I don't think they give baptism certificates in Iran when you're baptized in a bathtub. You know, he didn't have any of that. And so the judge started asking my friend questions. He said, um, he said, tell me, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Where did he die? He died on a hill outside of Jerusalem on a cross. He said, tell me, who are the 12 disciples? And my friend named off all 12. He said, what are the 10 commandments? He named off all 10. He was asking him, of course, this is in a U.S. immigration courtroom, right? I thought there was separation of church and say It was felt like a Sunday school class. And my friend was answering all these questions, question after question. And he said, how do you become a Christian? And my friend, he answered it perfect. Man, this is the way you become a Christian. Here's the steps. And finally the judge said, I'm going to grant your request. He said, I don't know if you were persecuted in Iran or not, but I know this, you're a Christian. It's very evident you're a Christian. And it's very evident that if you went back to Iran, 
If you weren't persecuted then, you'd be persecuted now. So, so you can stay. It was such a great celebration. And I thought about that. If, if that was you, if, if a judge or someone was asking you questions, I'm not talking about if you can spout off the 12 disciples, you know, without singing a little song, there were 12 disciples. Jesus called the help You know, I'm not talking about that. But is it evident? Is it evident that God is working in your life? Is it evident that you are no longer a slave to pride or greed or junk or whatever? But rather that Jesus Christ is filling you and living within you and making a difference, an everyday difference. If not, there is hope for you, my friend. Because Jesus Christ, He does deliver us. And we're going to look at that all summer long. When we listen, when we trust, when we obey, there is some exit ramps. What do you need to exit from? That's what we're going to be talking about all summer long. I want you to know there is deliverance in Jesus Christ.